Good evening, True North. Pain. Pain comes in a variety of forms. There's physical pain, right? We've all experienced that. Ooh, owie, my fingy. There's muscular pain, joint pain, nerve pain. There's those, I, found, I was doing some research on specifically pain, and there's something called functional pain. Functional pain. Now, functional pain is pain which doesn't have an obvious origin, but something somewhere hurts. The sensory and emotional experience is also something that I was reading about. Emotional, sens the sensory and emotional experience that comes from pain. And the experience that we have and how we deal with pain. You know, um, something that brings me mental anguish is how anyone let me get away with looking like this. That's yours truly, senior year, 2004. 2004, thank you. All joking aside, this picture doesn't actually bring me emotional pain. Um, if anything, it's, it's a, 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 a fond reminder of who I was at 17 and where I was in that particular season of life. I was 17. I didn't have any cares. I didn't have any worries. Life was easy, and I didn't have any troubles. See, I was carefree. There's nothing that I thought that was going to hit me or hit my life in, in any way, shape, or form. But I think it's safe to say that we all, we all understand that life isn't that way. Life has its ups and its downs. Life has its various seasons of life. And it can sometimes be difficult to navigate. And something that we're definitely promised about life is that it's not going to be carefree. Life isn't free of suffering. It isn't free of pain. It isn't free of worry. It isn't free of anxiety. It isn't free of, fa of fear. See, when we're afflicted and in distress, we're in the middle of that suffering. We're in the middle of that pain. We want it over quickly. We want it over immediately. And it's in that moment where we jump into anything or everything that'll give us that quick relief, that'll make it end fast. See, sometimes we even look to school, we look to work, we look to family, we look to sports, whatever it might be, we look to those things and focus on our weakness, we focus on that suffering, but that's not going to make things better. See, guys, pain and suffering will happen. If it hasn't happened already, it'll eventually happen. But we're promised a far greater peace from a gracious God. And I think if anybody know, knew what that experience was like, if anybody understood that very well, it was Paul. So tonight, if you'll open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 12 and 16 through 18. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 through 12, 16 through 18. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work 
in us, but not life, but life in you. Paul continues in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's very clear that Paul understood through his suffering God's sufficiency and how God's sufficiency was magnified in that. Something he wanted the Corinthians to grasp and something that we should be understanding as well. And that's why when in the middle of pain, when in the middle of affliction, you have to remember that. Remember that sufficiency that we're granted. Tonight's first point is remember God's sufficiency. Paul says in in verses 7 through 12 again, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. And I think in order to understand those those first three verses or this entire chapter, we kind of have to take a quick look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Specifically, the verses, verses 1 through 18, Paul speaks of this new glorious covenant ministry. This new ministry he's received and is now carrying out. This is a ministry that, apart from Christ, Paul would have been insufficient for. The confidence he speaks of comes from the truth and faith he has in Christ and not from human efforts, not from human resources. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4-6 through 6 says, Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, the confidence he speaks of, again, is, is the truth and faith he has in Christ and not in, his, in himself. That confidence comes from the Holy Spirit. And their faith, his faith, rested in God's power. This means that his involvement in ministry didn't derive from his own ability. This guy wasn't facing death. This guy wasn't getting stoned because he's like, I could do this on my own. But it was holy from God. And in fact, he even tells Timothy, tells Timothy where he gets his strength from. He tells him, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, I say all these things, I say all of this, I start back in chapter 3 because, Paul, because of what Paul is saying specifically in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. See, reliance on humans rather than our God, is nearsighted and dangerous. Now getting to our actual chapter, but before we get to the verses, I want you to peek at verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6. Take a quick peek there, a little gander. In these verses, he speaks to how this new covenant has influenced the way he went about his ministry. So he says here, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants of Christ for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, in these verses, he speaks to how this new covenant has influenced his way of life every aspect of his life and every aspect of the ministry, and all the toiling, all the laboring he did for God. So there's two things here that he mentions real quick, and that's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Old Covenant being, right, the Judaic law sacrifices, right, which in themselves were glorious. How great is it for God to have paved a way for the chosen people? But when Christ came, that was the New Covenant. So if one was glorious the second one was even more glorious, more supreme. Why? Because this was 
a, a new covenant that represented life in righteousness. This covenant was more glorious because it's permanent. And this covenant transforms the heart of the believer. So it, was, it was through this new covenant that Paul was empowered and what affected every aspect of his life. See, the greatness of this new covenant affects how we serve in ministry, affects our life, affects how we do life together. See, and what he was talking about, what led to that, and what, what he talked about that we would be carrying out is, is endurance and honesty. And this is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He's talking about the endurance we will have. We won't, be, we won't lose heart. We won't be faint of heart. There's an honesty. There's an anticipation for the coming of Christ, for the resurrection. There's a trust in God's sovereignty. And there's the focus that we need to have in Christ. So Paul has done two things here. He praises this new covenant that's been given to him. And the second thing is he tells the Corinthians what they need to be carrying out now and how they should be living life. Now, in verses 7 through 9. 7 through 9, he speaks to the suffering of those proclaiming the gospel. See, he tells them that God is all-sufficient and provides encouragement in the midst of affliction. We look at the passage again, verses 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And he says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He tells them that God is all-sufficient. He tells them that he suffered persecution for the sake of, the, of, of this ministry, for the sake of the gospel. And his ability to continue this work is a demonstration of God's work in him. Why? Because God's sufficiency is highlighted in our weakness. And Paul was a prime example. You read through the epistles, you read through all his letters, he was, he was the example to that. And he spoke to his persecution, to his pain, to his suffering, his despair. He looked on someone who trusted. Uh, and he was, it looked, his life looked like someone who trusted in someone greater. That's why he uses this metaphor here in, in verse 7. He speaks of a clay pot, jars of clay. And in this, he's contrasting this fragile, fragile object, this clay pot, with what's inside of that pot, which is the treasure, which is our salvation. See, God's purpose for putting the treasure, the message of salvation, in the jar is to show his sufficiency. Think of it kind of in this terms, right? We're going to stray away from the, the, the jars of clay for a little bit. But last night, I was getting ready for, for my home fellowship group. I have a home fellowship group Tuesday nights. We're getting ready, saying goodbye to my three daughters. I have a five-year-old, three-year-old, and one-year-old. And the three-year-old comes up, and she hugs my leg. And she does this little, this little, sneak, little sneak grab of my keys. They're hanging on the key and the hook, goes to grab them, and I go, hey, those aren't for you. Those are dad's keys. And she goes, okay, dad. I leave. We leave. We go to home fellowship group. We come back. My keys are missing. I knew who did it. It's my three-year-old, right? So I start looking for them because they could, they could be anywhere at this point, anywhere. Uh, fortunately, our babysitter saw her put her put my keys in a little unicorn purse. So they were safe in a unicorn purse. I don't, I don't know where she was going, but she had them. See, my point is, she doesn't fully understand. She knows that that key is for my car. A key is for my house. But she doesn't fully understand what those keys mean to me. Without those keys, I can't leave in the morning. I can't get into my house. I can't get into my office. See, they aren't capable of understanding, not yet anyway, how important they really are, the keys. And they might even take them and misplace them. They might dunk them in some water. It's happened. Something like that's happened before. Or place them in their little purse. See, comparing that to the jars of clay, God is entrusting us with something significant, something crucial, 
He's entrusting us with a ministry that we in ourselves cannot fully carry out, not on our own, but that in his sufficiency and spirit keeps us and steadies us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of the most treasured possession being kept in a fragile clay pot. How silly is that to keep a treasured possession in a a clay pot. But that treasured item is salvation. And when we focus on our weaknesses, we miss the point. See, that affliction, that pain, that suffering is lessened when we focus on God's power and not how fragile we are. Pain and suffering, like I said at the beginning, comes in all shapes comes in a variety of ways and forms, and some of it is paralyzing. It can be. Some of it can be debilitating. But the power of God should cause us to not despair and not to be hard-pressed. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10 through 10 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. How do we do this? How do we hold on tightly to God when pain and suffering knocks the wind out of us. Well, we, we hold on to God's all-surpassing power. Pain comes in a spectrum that can't be willed down to just a few things. Right? I think you guys agree with that. It's not just, pain isn't just three things. See, it comes in other ways. It comes in other manners. We experience it in different ways. And I kind of wanted to take the time to unpack some of those. Because our view of God's sufficiency in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, is very important. So let's talk real quick through some ways we experience pain. The first one is pain of rejection. The pain of rejection, that reminds me of this story. I was in in seventh grade, first first middle school dance, and I think it was the last one I ever went to in the two years that you're in middle school. Seventh grade, first dance, I showed up with a buddy of mine, and we, we, we meet these two other girls that we already knew, and he pairs off with one of them, and the other one, no joke, just gave me the most disgusting, disgusted look. Like, I, it was like, it was, I was undervalued, I was unimportant, like you, that's it. You know, I, maybe... It was what I was wearing. Maybe I was wearing flannels before it was cool. I don't know. But that was the pain of rejection. I was rejected. Now, I know a lot of us have felt the same way before, whether it was a girl, whether it was a boy, whether it's a group of friends. But we can hold on to God's sufficiency. Psalm 27.10 says this, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And Psalm 94.14 says this, For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. The Lord, the Lord is our comforter. And in that moment when we feel rejection, we feel alone, we feel lonely. We feel unloved. But we have to hold on to that promise that's in Psalms. He will not forsake us. The Lord will take us in. He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. Now, if you make a profession, genuine profession of of, of faith in Christ, you will not be rejected by our God. Second thing is pain of sickness and injury. Pain of sickness and injury. A lot of us get sick, a lot of us catch colds, flus, we get injured, and pain comes with that. 
It feels hard. I don't want a cold anymore. I don't want a flu anymore. I want to go back to do normal things. I'm tired of this injury. But I want, I want to remind you again, the Lord will not forsake us. The Lord is with us. The Lord is sufficient to get us through even in that sickness, even in that pain of injury. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will will entrust to God's will will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While that suffering may not have been of sickness and injury, we can hold fast to the to, to our God who will, will will be faithful, a faithful creator, and not allow us to suffer. The third thing is pain of not being good enough. There's pain that comes through that, affliction that comes with that. Pain of not being good enough. I don't know how many out there, I know for a fact that a lot of you work incredibly hard in school. Some of you have all AP classes. I bet right now you're thinking, you're right, Elvis, I have a ton of homework that I need to go home and do right now. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, for being willing to to, to not forsake the community and the fellowship that you need. But there's pain that comes with that, right? That project that just didn't go well and you didn't get the grade you expected. That paper you spent hours, days, maybe months tailoring, researching. Maybe you went to the library for this one. Maybe you didn't. But the fact is, is the pain comes with that. When you don't get something you expect, I'm not good, I wasn't good enough. It was a, a, a tryout, basketball tryout, soccer tryout, whatever it is. I didn't make the team. I'm not good enough. Guys, Galatians 2.20 says this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Pain of not being good enough. Guys, we, we, we are. We've been crucified with Christ. If you are a, a genuine believer, you've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who are living, but Christ within you. And you live by faith in the Son of God who, who get this, loved you and gave himself for you. Now the fourth thing is pain of being physically insufficient. Pain of not feeling like you, you, you're there physically, right? 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Pain of being physically insufficient. Guys, we are children of God. And in that feeling of insufficiency, of inadequacy, we need to hold on dearly to our gracious God. And the last thing is pain of loss. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5 through five say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Guys, there, there's, there, there may be a day when you lose a friend, when you lose a loved one, and there's immense pain that comes with that. There's affliction that comes with that. There's an emotional pain that comes with that. But we have a God here, a Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So in all affliction, we are to run to Him. And in all suffering, we are to run to Him who is a mighty fortress. I think it's also important to discuss the, the doubt that this pain is capable of causing in our lives. The pain of doubt. 
So whatever the, whatever the pain is, sometimes we're left thinking, why? I mean, why, why me? Why now? Why this? And I want to encourage you guys to be confident in Christ in the face of pain, in the face of suffering, and in rejection, and in chronic pain, and your anxiety, and possible depression. Look into Christ's resurrection, and the afterlife we are promised should give us fortitude and eliminate all of that. See, Paul's jars of clay, his, his clay pots metaphor should cause us to, to worship and praise the Lord. Why? Because God's grace and power is insurmountable and all-encompassing. See, the pain of rejection or, or feeling like you're not good enough is not what we should be focusing on. It's the treasure inside. It's the salvation we've been graciously given that needs to be our focus. Our answer is to look to God's prayer and not our God's power and not our weakness. And the usage of this clay pot that Paul says in verse 7 is so that we can look to God. Battling pain and suffering is something that we can never do on our own. And it's for this reason that we have to remember, we must remember God's sufficiency. And when remembering his sufficiency, guys, we also have to be sure that we're anchoring our faith to something greater, to someone greater, that we're standing firm in Christ. Point number two is stand firmly in Christ when faced with suffering. Looking back at our text in verses 10 to 12, Paul does what Paul does best. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The Greek word there for death, for always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, the Greek word there is necrosis. Necrosis. And that could be translated to literally deadness of Jesus. And I couldn't help but think of, you know, when you're doing group projects and you have the, the one the one person who just does nothing. you got the other three who are just working hard and the other person doesn't. You're carrying, you're carrying that person. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's carrying the deadness of Jesus. Paul carried the deadness of Jesus at all times in order that Christ's life would be evident in his life. He wanted the Corinthians to see this. He wanted the Philippians to see this. He wanted to, the, 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 the people he was proclaiming the gospel to, he wanted them to see this. And throughout this letter, Paul uses his own life as an example. His affliction, persecution, were a reminder that through his weakness, human weakness, God's power is clearly seen. Paul suffered immensely for the sake of the gospel and someone who constantly faced death. He endured suffering for Christ. And as much as Christ's sufferings are his, so is Christ's power. He's been given the ability to endure affliction, despair, and persecution. And what he was wanting them to know, the Corinthians, what he was wanting the Corinthians to understand, and what we are to understand, is that Christ's death's, death is an enduring reality. And our abundance, our comfort, is in the sufferings of Christ. And this is how we stand firm in Christ. This is how we're, we're, we're fully planted when faced with suffering, we need to make sure that we are that. See, Paul furthers this reality in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul casted, he cast aside all worldly allurement, allurements, all earthly things for the sake of Christ. He no longer wanted anything to do with them. In verse 11, 
For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul was saying there that that life, earthly life, our life now is better because of Jesus' life. The life of the risen Lord, which is evident in Paul's life. He wraps up his thought in verse 12, where he says, Paul had faced, Paul, Paul had faced, Paul's, I'm sorry, Paul had faced much opposition in Corinth, but he was encouraged by the Spirit, able to stand firm and fearless. I mean, listen to this, Acts 18.6. This is, you know, just a great example. Acts 18.6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. They opposed and reviled him. And he's, he said, all right, fine, I'm done with you. Paul saw what many would consider almost contradictory, paradoxical. And that was, he found suffering beneficial. And it wasn't just suffering for suffering's sake, but it was the pain and suffering that is produced in our lives. Paul could stand firmly because he was motivated by the example he had in Christ who willingly gave his life. He saw that his own sufferings were a means by which the Lord would minister to the Corinthians. And Paul's suffering would be means by which others could experience spiritual life. Colossians 1:24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. In Philippians, Paul tells Philippi, he tells the Christians at Philippi to stand firm. Stand firm. This is a steadfastness, an immovable object. And it's usually compared to Roman armies. How Roman, Roman armies were, were known for standing unmoved against enemies. And that kind of got me thinking. That reminded me of, of, you know, those vertical posts that are typically outside of offices. Yeah, I've got a picture. The most common one is the red balls outside of Target. I found out the word, is, the word for them is bollard. Bollard. Or Post right? Post. The thing with these, I was like, okay, what do, what do these things do? And typically, you're walking into Target, you see little kids jumping over them, climbing over them, and they're like, dude, this, I'm going to do a crazy trick off of this thing. And don't, be honest, guys, you are doing that too before you even get into the store. So, you know, you can't just blame it on the kids. These, these red balls, bollards, the posts, these posts that are, are, are typically seen outside, you can see them outside offices, yeah, I never knew what they were for. I learned that they're, they're aesthetics. They could be aesthetically pleasing. They limit movement in traffic. They prevent people from going too fast in certain sections of the freeway. The, the thing that they're most common for is that when these are installed, they're permanent. They stand firm. They are immovable. And the only thing that's going to move that red ball outside of Target is a tremendous force from a car. And that's what Paul was calling the Philippians to be, to, to, to be immovable, to stand firm. And Paul is telling and he's reminding the Corinthians of something similar, to stand firmly in their faith, trusting Christ wholly. But what he really wanted them to understand and what we need to grasp is that it's simply no longer just suffering for the sake of suffering, but we suffer for a better reason. And it's becoming more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. True North, again, we, we aren't promised a carefree life nor are we promised a life free of suffering. So when anguish hits, when despair hits, or when we 
are affected by anxiety or depression or affliction? What, how do we make sure we stand firm in Christ? Well, I think the first, the first thing we need, to, we need to talk about is having a genuine faith in Christ. Have a genuine faith in Christ. And I think a lot of you may have already gone through partners recently or in the past. You guys could quote to me what the gospel is. If I pulled one of you up here and said, hey, share the gospel with everybody, you guys could probably quote it verbatim. But are you living that life? Acts 20, 21 says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts with having a genuine faith in Christ to be able to stand firmly in Him, to be able to anchor our, our, our faith in Him, to be that immovable object when suffering hits, when pain hits. The second thing is hold fast to the peace given to us. Hold fast to the peace given to us. I like what what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, have you ever experienced peace that surpasses any understanding? Have you ever experienced anything that is above your understanding? I mean, this is... This, is, this peace given to us is something that should be comforting. It's something that we should be seeking. It's something that we should be running towards. Because this isn't, this isn't holding on to any ordinary peace, but a peace that only comes in Christ. And that means that this peace is able to guard our hearts, it's able to guard our minds in our greatest trials. That even means the pain that comes with not feeling good enough losing a friend or a family member, possibly dealing with depression or anxiety, feeling exhausted because you just have too much on your plate. And the third thing is remembering that Jesus paid it all. We must have a genuine faith in Christ. We must hold on to that peace given to us and remember that Jesus paid it all. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4 say the following. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In In Hebrews 12, the author gives us this command, this imperative. He's telling us to consider Consider him. Contemplate him. Who's that? The one who endured for sinners all hostility. That one person is Christ. Now, I don't say this to invalidate trials, pain, suffering that you might be going through now, that you may have already gone through, that you may eventually one day face. But I say this as a reminder. A reminder for all of us to remember that Christ, what Christ endured so that we would not grow tired, so that we wouldn't grow faint-hearted or lack any courage as we face those obstacles, as we face those trials. We're to look to Christ in order to continue our faith, to continue in an unjaded faith. Asaph wrote in Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26, where he said that there's nothing on this earth absolutely nothing on this earth that he desires besides the Lord. And he says that his heart, his flesh may fail, but God's protection of his heart was his portion forever. That was his focus. That was his focus. And we need to remember that God is all-sufficient even when we don't want to. When we're struck down, when we feel destroyed, we trust and put that faith in an all-sufficient God. And we are able to walk through pain, despair, anguish, and anything else when our faith is securely anchored in Christ. When we cling to Christ, 
we find a peace that surpasses all understanding. And guys, that the peace of God comes after peace with God, which comes through Christ who made that peace possible by taking the wrath of God on, on, on the cross. So with this in mind, it's important for us to have a, a, an internal view, an internal mindset on what we're being promised here and what Paul is talking about. See, the third point for tonight is maintain an eternal perspective. Maintain an internal perspective. Let's look back at the text, verses 16 through 18. And that says, So we do not lose, lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here Paul is telling us that there's no reason to despair. In these verses, he talks about the difference between the temporal and the eternal. He, he mentions here that, that it, it's very clear that our bodies will fail our souls. And what caused Paul to not lose heart was his assurance of this, was his assurance of his resurrection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14, he says this, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. As he continues on in verse 16, he says he remains bold even though his body is getting old. His body is going to fail him and he knows that. He's getting old. The inner self is strengthened by the continual supply of grace he's receiving. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, it says in John. While he may be growing weaker, he was being spiritually renewed. While he, was growing, he may have been growing weaker, he was being spiritually renewed by the Holy Spirit. He was becoming more like Christ. And that was his endeavor, to be more and more like Christ. In verses 17 through 18, Paul explains what holds his face together. And what's holding his faith together is God's power so that he may endure suffering and persevere. The suffering he endured prepared him for the eternal weight of glory in what he's talking about here. And that's suffering for Christ brings great heavenly reward. Matthew 5, 12 says this, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul understood this. He knew this. This is what energized him. This is what empowered him. This is what kept him moving. This is what made him toil and labor for the sake of the gospel. Paul looked to the promises of God, seeing what could not be seen. And what is seen is this world is temporary. And what can't be seen is the eternal, the resurrection. And that's what he held on to. These hardships, these sufferings, he was imprisoned. He faced so many things and so many trials, and he held on to that. He anchored his faith in Christ. December of 2018, I got this, just this terrible, terrible 24-hour bug. I've got, a, I've got a picture of it here. It's called the norovirus. That's probably the one I got, maybe. Um, I thought I was going to die. I got sick at about 9 p.m. and went through until about 6 a.m. And there was one point in the middle of the night where I was laying on the floor, hugging the toilet. I said, this is it. God, I... I've served you. I've loved you well. I love my wife. I love my kids. Just take me. I'm done. And then about 6 a.m., 7 a.m., I, I started feeling better. So <laughs> a light momentary affliction. You know, it's, it's, it's funny sometimes how 
We take instances like that and we go, this is it, I can't, I can't handle this. This is the end. I can't do this. Right? And we looked at, we looked at Paul who's, who went through so much and I go, I, I'm not Paul, I can't do that, Elvis. But that's what Paul's talking about. He's wanting us to have to take heart, to hold fast to that same promise he held on to in the midst of his imprisonment, in the midst of his affliction. In verse 17, Paul mentions momentary light affliction. As I said, I thought I was a goner, but I wasn't. But see, the, whatever the trial is in our lives, hardship feels, they feel that way sometimes. They feel endless. They feel ho- hopeless. But Paul wanted believers to understand that hardships are temporary and easier to overcome with the right perspective, an eternal perspective. And in the midst of our weakness, our exhaustion, and our suffering, that's when God's strength is displayed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In the moment, suffering doesn't seem temporary or a light affliction. They're very, very real and in our face. And sometimes it feels like there's nothing we can do but just face them head on. So in the midst of trials, guys, how do we maintain an eternal mindset? How do we keep that perspective? How do we hold on to that so that when we do get hit with the trial, we do get hit with affliction, with pain, we can look to what's ahead? Well, it starts with knowing that God is good. God is good. It says in Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, the character of God serves as a standard for good. There's no good without God. And while everything else may look good, it'll fail to satisfy in the end. Over time, our suffering, if we let it, our suffering and pain blur or distort our perspective. And if we let, allow that to happen, it's, we, we lose sight of what's ultimately good. See, clarity on goodness comes only when we focus on the God who sets the standard for goodness. So we maintain an eternal perspective by understanding and knowing that God is good. And this is bigger than being or feeling like we reject the pain of feeling rejected or the pain of, of not being good enough. Because when that pain comes and that when, when that pain f- floods our, 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 just our being, our minds, our hearts, we can have peace that God, that the peace, we can be at peace and understand that God knows what's best for us. That he knows what's good for us. The second thing is knowing that God loves and cares for you. See, love and goodness kind of go hand in hand because love is an overflow of his good character. We should be overwhelmed that the, the eternal, self-sufficient God who doesn't need us and is the standard for good would pursue us with his, his compassion to benefit us. I mean, John 3.16 says it best. You guys probably know this already. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We need to understand in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, when we don't know which way to go, that God loves us. So if, you're, if, you, if you have that pain of rejection, or you have that pain, you have that trial, you have that obstacle in your life, know that God loves you. God loves, God, God's love motivates him to act for the benefit of the world, even at the price and the expense of his own son. The last thing is trusting in the Lord's sovereignty. So maintaining that eternal perspective is, is knowing that God is good. 
It's knowing that he's good. It's knowing that he loves and cares for you. And it's knowing that we can trust fully in his sovereignty. See, trusting in the Lord's sovereignty, we're encouraged by Scripture to trust in God's character, not only to trust in his character, but to trust in his plan. Psalm 119.68 says this, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. We currently live in a world that experiences affliction, that experiences suffering. You, you, you open up, you, you know, you can go on, on, on uh, search anything on Google, go on, on a news, news app, go on social media for CNN, for Fox, for anything, right? And you'll see how much the world is suffering, how much pain there is. See, we live in that world. And even though if, if it's not struck your life yet, if it's not affected you yet, just know that when it does come, we can hold fast and trust in God's ultimate plan. See, for every suffering and painful thing that happens, we can say with Joseph, like he says in Genesis, that sinful men meant evil against him and God meant good. So when we're in pain over the loss of a loved one, if it's something chronic, chronic pain, a chronic sickness, feeling physically insufficient, Let's hold on to God's goodness, his love for us, and his sovereignty. In the moment, our trials may feel like, like something we, 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 we can't even rejoice over. But scripture calls us to that. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Pain produces hope. And a hope that does not put us to shame. This hope is a confident expectation. And it causes us to depend on the Lord and remember that this world is not our home. See, guys, suffering pushes us toward the joy of, uh, of eternal things of Christ rather than the fading comforts of this earth. Seeking peace, seeking comfort, seeking relief, and anything outside of Christ will always fail to satisfy. Will always fail to satisfy you. In the midst of pain, suffering, affliction, remember that God is sufficient in everything we need to overcome those trials. And because of his goodness and his love for us, we can anchor our faith to Christ. With these things in mind, there's, there's, there's no pain of rejection. There's no pain of feeling like we're not good enough. There's no, there's no pain of, of having lost someone. There's no pain of doubt. There's nothing on this earth that could cause us to suffer, to have pain, to be afflicted that will stop us from trusting in the sovereignty of our God and maintaining that eternal perspective. Let's pray.